on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1. Streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and today my guests are co-directors and producers Justin Smith and David Baker, and we are talking about their brand new, very important documentary entitled Saving Atlantis. Welcome to the show, Justin and David. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. We appreciate being here. Thank you. I appreciate you being here myself. Let's talk a little bit how how you got involved with this movie, and also for our listeners, um, if you could just tell them a little bit about what the documentary is about. Justin, we'll start with you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So the film, uh, first and foremost, is about coral reefs and uh, the issues coral reefs are facing globally. But I think, um, you know, we very quickly changed the story to how humans interact with coral reefs. And that became a pretty important emphasis for us, realizing that in order for us to engage an audience, they need to understand how humans were affected. And we kind of um, built this generic persona of, of a person maybe in the in the Midwest of the United States just completely landlocked and um, and tried to figure out how we could craft a story that would help them start to, to understand the gravity of the situation and, and care beyond, you know, maybe it would be just somewhere they would they would vacation. And if Dave might have some other ideas about how we approach this. Do you, yeah, David? We're, um, we're, we're science storytellers, and um, so that's always the challenge, is how to take something that's a really complex topic that has lots of moving pieces in terms of the science that's happening behind the scenes and, and, and engage an audience in, in a theatrical-type situation or during the course of a feature-length film. So pointing the camera at other humans is a, is a great way to do that. And how did um, have you worked together before on other projects, or is this the first time you've collaborated together? So David and I have been collaborating together for the better part of a decade now. And so I think our filmmaking journey started together uh, on a short film that David had written. And we kind of had a balance between director and cinematographer on that. And then this would be, depending on how you look at it, maybe our third or fourth documentary we worked on together. And Dave, Dave can elaborate on that a little bit as well. Yeah, we're um, affiliated with the university. So a lot of our topics um, tend to be science related these days, but we, we collaborate across the board from narrative films to commercial projects and, and feature-length docs as well. So this project initially started off to be a series uh, about the coral reefs, and then at some point it changed and you decided to do a full-length feature. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, David? Sure, yeah. We were working on a project uh, with Dr. Rebecca Vega-Thurber at Oregon State University, who's a, a coral microbiologist, and we were doing a series for the National Science Foundation to basically help tell the public why taxpayers are investing in this kind of research and why it's important. And while we were shooting the first chapter in this series in Australia, um, there were some approaching coral bleaching events um, that were unprecedented. They basically, over the past five or six years, been happening every single year, um, which has never happened in recorded history before. So we we thought we need to do more with this story than just produce a series. Uh, You know, we're both film fans, film aficionados, and we think that the theatrical experience provides uh, 
more of an emotional connection to a subject. So we collaborated with the researcher, Dr. Vega Thurber, and came up with the idea that, hey, let's take this into theaters and film festivals and try and tell even more people about what's going on in a, in a more deeply connected way. I agree with you that movies should be seen in the movie theaters and have that experience. I totally agree. How has it been received at the very... Uh, you've gone to quite a few film festivals. How has it been received at those film festivals, David, or Justin? Either yeah, way? I, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, we, we screen it in locations around the world, actually. We we brought it back to some of the communities we've filmed in, and we've also screened it in auditoriums and at um, science museums. So our biggest audience was uh, close to a 1,000 people, and our some of our smaller audiences were like in a in a village square where there was no uh, electric power, where we oh, wow. powered the film by a generator and showed it to some of the people who are directly impacted by these issues. And, and the reception, I think, has been very strong. Um, and what I've been impressed with is how people are processing the science. You know, they are getting the messages. What is a coral? What is the physiology of this organism like? And, um, you know, even little kids are sitting through the entire film. So that that's really meaningful for us because they're not just coming away with, you know, sort of this um, dire condition of coral reefs, which is certainly part of the film, but they're also learning how these, these animals work and what they mean to the ecosystems that they're a part of. Very important. And go ahead, Justin. Yeah, so that's absolutely true. And I think what has been really impactful for us is just, you know, you seeing a film that you've made and seeing it with an audience is always the best experience you can mm-hmm. have. And it's those moments where you start to feel like it was all worth it. You know, there's a lot of times in the editing room and we're just thinking, what's, is this even, you know, where are we going with this and what's even the point, you know? And then you get in a room with people and, you know, our, our, I think the most intense response we've had to the film was a, was our, on our home court and we did it on campus here. We had over a thousand people in attendance and it was, it was incredible, you know, just, just to he- hear people kind of excited about the film. And I think people walking away with having learned something and also felt something. And I think that's all we could have hoped to achieve with this. Is it, have you, has the experience been that people are having a call to action and trying to see what they can do and how they can get involved in saving the coral reefs? Absolutely. People want to know what they can do. And we've tried to create a pretty simple mechanism through, through our website for that, just to direct people and, and further educate them and then also give them some, some basic, um, action items and, you know, other effective ways to donate, you know, and try to help keep the, the voice of this alive and keep, keep the momentum going. Just so our audience knows, because maybe not everybody's so familiar with why it's so important uh, to save the coral reefs, perhaps you, uh, David, you can let us know why we should care about what's going on with our coral reefs. Yeah, uh, coral reefs are um, not only beautiful habitats. I mean, they're the landscape of the tropical paradise vacation and the honeymoons and that sort of thing is how we know them. You know, for that Midwesterner in the United States or something like that. Uh, but they're also incredibly important to the survival of cultures around the world. There are communities that have grown up coexisting with reefs. And if those reefs are destroyed, um, we lose these human societies, these beautiful, uh, uh, long standing traditions and cultures. And more basic than that, um, half a billion people depend on coral reefs for their only source of daily protein through the fish that live on those reefs. So, you know, that's a matter of survival. So that's that's really one level. And uh, 
what's happening is because of climate change and pollution and overfishing and a combination of human pressures, we're losing reefs very rapidly. And when we started making the film, a lot of the uh, projections that people had mentioned were that half of the coral reefs have disappeared in the last 50 years. Now it's up close to 60% are the estimates. So just in the span of five years or so working on this project, we've seen that number jump. So now is the time to be aware of this and to know what the causes are and to take some action so that we can save hopefully some of the world's remaining reefs for future generations. And Justin, what are some of the actions we can do to help save the coral reefs? Right. So on a, on a basic level, um, you know, as Dave was mentioning, there's, we, we face these global pressures and these local pressures. Um, and I think on the global level, I think just reducing our, our carbon output is going to be the number one. I think it's hard to ignore that fact at this point. I mean, these are these massive issues that are causing a lot of the environmental issues we face right now. And I think, you know, the, the most, critical thing for corals um, when we're considering global pressures, temperature, saltwater temperature increase or ocean, ocean temperature increase. And it's so minimal that uh, that can offset these corals kind of thermal threshold. We're talking a couple degrees Celsius and then they're out of whack. And when you hear about uh, coral bleaching, for example, mm-hmm. that's a result of that. And there's these, uh, these microalgal symbionts, these little algae that live inside the coral and if it gets too hot those those actually start to put off a toxin and then the corals kind of have to get rid of them but they're also their lifeline um and if and if the thermal threshold doesn't settle back to where they're happy then then they die and so i think you know anything that we're doing that we're considering that that would reduce our our carbon footprint is going to benefit coral reefs in the long run yes definitely but you know that's a hard that's a hard thing for everybody to really wrap their brains about i think sometimes Mm -hmm. about how but if each individual obviously um is more conscious about their uh, carbon imprint then Together, collectively, we can make things happen and change, which has always been the way. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's always true. I mean, it's such an overwhelming issue. But, you know, uh, it, it, there's, there are tipping points and little sparks and that could um, ignite a, a bigger movement. And, and we see that when people speak out. Maybe it's an individual, the right individual. So, um, you know, sharing this story... Uh, taking these actions um, really can add up and, and can change people's hearts and minds. And I'm thinking of a student that we met along this journey who was a coral researcher, um, and he grew up in, in, on a farm and was sort of a, a meat and potatoes type of a person. And, and we heard him having this debate like, well, if I, if I don't eat meat or eat less meat, it's really not going to make a difference. It's not going to save corals. But, you know, by the end of our trip, he had gone full vegetarian as a way to eat lower on the food chain and reduce his carbon emissions. Um, you know, the, the problem was getting so serious that any action you can take. So that's just like one person who, by experiencing the decline of coral reefs, made a change to his habits. And we need that, that to happen on a, on a, you know, global level uh, with large groups of people. So taking those little individual actions are, are symbolic and a good first step. And then, you know, the political step is next, you know, putting pressure on governments to mandate uh, smart carbon policies 
is the, the level we ultimately need to get to. Yes, I agree with you on that. I just recently had on the show James Wilkes, and his um, documentary is called The Game Changers. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that film, but it's all about that and about athletes, um, Olympic athletes, uh, other, you know, athletes that are in competition, high-level athletes, how they change their diet to a plant-based diet, mostly a vegan diet, and how uh, much stronger they became. Uh, as a result mm-hmm. of doing that. And of course, then they went through the whole thing about, you know, the carbon f- footprint and, you know, and all the, everything that's around, um, you know, cows and, and how they generate more of, uh, you know, our, do more damage to our air quality even than our cars do. So it was, it was eye opening. Um, again, I, I've been mostly a vegetarian slash vegan most of my life, but after watching this movie, I went more vegan. You know, I said I'm about 97% there. But that's huge right there. For, wow. If everybody was 97%, I think we'd make a yeah. big difference in the world. You know, occasionally I'll have some fish or something or some cheese. But other than that, um, at home, it's completely vegan. So you, you, at least you feel like you're doing something, you know. So I say that. I'll put that out there to all of our listeners to start considering. They used to have meatless Mondays. Maybe start considering one day a week without any meat. And, uh, and just know that you're doing something good for the planet. You've brought this is you, go ahead. Uh, do you have something else to add to that, either David or Justin? No, I think you're you're right on track there. Absolutely. Thank yeah, you. And, and I think one one of the kind of central points of our film is it's really going to take everything. You know, it's yes. going to take governments acting and individuals acting. And at this point, we're going to need to rely on scientific solutions and hail marys as well. Yes. So. We need all of those things um, to to be happening. You know, there there are some engineering and some coral breeding of you know creating a new super coral that can withstand some of these temperatures. You know, for reefs to survive on a, a global scale, all of those things need to happen. So individual actions are a huge part of that, and that's something that people can do right away. And that's something that your film does highlight, um, which is you know very important. If you are just tuning in, you're listening to the Jam Price Show all about movies, and my guest today are co-directors and producers, Justin Smith and David Baker, and we're talking about their brand new documentary, Saving Atlantis. You filmed all over the world um, on this. You went to Australia, South Pacific, Hawaii, the Caribbean, the Red Sea. Um, where did you see... By the way, your film is beautifully photographed, by the way. It's beautifully done. Um, it's it, it just It really brings home all of it to you and and it's just really very very well done and i want to to commend you you on that uh for sure uh but what what area for you was the most difficult and what you felt was the hardest hit out of all of those countries i'll go to you justin yeah so well i I, dave is going to be able to elaborate on on a more specific one that i wasn't on the shoot for but um you know where where i saw the most damage as a result of bleaching which was maybe the most heartbreaking was in french polynesia and we're on the island of morea and we're talking about some of the most crystal clear pristine water you've ever imagined and you look at this this idyllic island and you think what in this region could be causing these problems and you know you can even see this when you're flying into these areas and you see these little atolls and there's nothing touching them there's no there's almost no human influence yet under the water you see these 
massive fields of bleached coral. They're actually suffering another round of it down there right now. And you think, you know, th- this is all the result of other people's influence on these islands. And we're talking about, you know, the sea, sea temperature increase. And it's tragic realizing the people of these islands are just kind of floating there as in a way as victims of of these global issues and you just think you know it just it just doesn't seem right you know but you know, it's kind of heartbreaking to see that contrast you know above water it's so pristine and green and perfect and then below water it's uh, just a, a bleached you know fields of bleached coral and and on the flip side of that um, one of the areas of the world that's been hit the hardest uh, because it's suffered bleaching events uh, the longest um, going back to the 80s is the Caribbean and um, so there uh, they've lost a lot of coral cover over the past several decades and uh, one of the reefs that we filmed uh, was one that was recently discovered by scientists um, uh, underneath the this cap of murky water at the mouth of Cartagena Bay. And um, they didn't expect to find a reef there, but they found this thriving reef. Uh, and it, it's kind of huddled under this murky water, um, but you dive down below that, and after a couple of meters of sediment, there's this beautiful reef. And um, some of the theories are that because there's been 500 years of human influence in this harbor, going back to the Spaniards, um, these corals have had time to adapt. And uh, the tragic thing about that situation is that reef was scheduled to be dredged to create a new shipping channel to allow these big Panamax freighters oh, wow. in. And there's a part of our story is this coalition of scientists and fishermen and, and, and folks who are trying to raise awareness about the importance of this recently discovered reef. And there's some hope in that, that given enough time to adapt to humans, um, you know, these reefs can survive and maybe even thrive in unlikely places. But the new piece of the puzzle of the equation is that climate change is added on top of all of these human pressures like sedimentation and then pollution and things like that. So it's really a one-two punch that, and, and of course, dredging the new channel, there's nothing you can do to withstand that. Um, so, so, you know, in our film, we do find spots of hope. We, you know, these animals, corals can adapt if we give them enough time. Once they're bleached, is there any opportunity for them to come back if we change and reverse things, or are they are they just dead and dormant once they're bleached? So once once the algae leaves the coral and it loses its color, there's a, a narrow window of time where if the water temperature decreases again, they'll come back. Now, if they don't in time, uh, you know, the corals are gaining so much energy from these algae right. that they, they'll essentially starve to death if, if they don't return mm-hmm. in time. So if, if they're bleached and, and, and the, that window is closed, then that's it. And the, the great now, bear, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, one thing we did see in Morea is there was some damage from a hurricane and it just wiped out an area. And, you know, again, the resilience of these animals, given the right conditions, they can come back and recolonize. Uh, and we saw this field, it was, it was almost like a garden of these perfectly sized little um, coral colonies that were starting to grow back, and they were all the same size. It didn't have the diversity, all the different shapes, this kind of Dr. Seuss quality that really mature reefs have, but, but it really had a lot of cover of these small corals. So that's another hopeful thing is that an area, once it is damaged, um, it can be recolonized, but it does lose some of the diversity of species and things like that when that does happen. Well, 
let's hope. Let's all we can do is hope. They say, you know, if the ocean goes, so so does the rest of us. You know, we have to keep our <laughs> oceans healthy. And, uh, and I don't know how much people realize that. And we've done so many things to destroy our, you know, to hurt our oceans and uh, and and the life that lives there. I mean, you discovered life that um, that you'd never that they didn't even know existed, right? When you were filming this, certain new species of fish that you had not they had not really found before. Yeah, it, you know, the estimates are that about ten percent of the species on coral reefs have been classified by science. You know, so there's so much out there that has not been discovered, and um, there are new chemical compounds that can be used in medicine uh, to cure and treat human uh, diseases um, that are being discovered all the time. So you might find, you know, we've had, had the story of one researcher who found a chemical compound in a reef in Panama, and then, you know, that reef was damaged due to development. You can't go anywhere else in the world to find that same exact mm. compound. So, wow. so you know, by... Um, the destruction of these reefs, we're losing things that we don't even know about yet. And that's why your film is so eye-opening because, you know, there was, a, I mean, obviously it's educational and you're learning a lot that you didn't know about the coral reefs before and it brings that awareness. What, um, are there some organizations or somewhere that some of our listeners can go to to see what they can do to help the coral reefs? Yeah, we certainly, we have a list of them at um, coralreefmovie.org, uh, the website for the film. So we have a lot of supporters there and there are organizations like Coral Watch and um, conservation.org and that are have coral reef programs. So supporting those are incredibly important and they, they can be very local. There is an organization uh, Salvemos Varadero that, that is grown up around that reef that we I mentioned earlier in Colombia and they're dedicated to saving just that one reef. So there are um, another hopeful element is there are really active communities that are doing everything they can to protect every, you know, last scrap of reef. So, um, yeah, we totally can uh, encourage anybody interested in this issue to go to our website. And, and say, about say the website again, David. It's uh, coralreefmovie.org. Okay, great. Coralreefmovie.org. Where can people see this film? So right now... Uh, it's available for rent or purchase via iTunes, Amazon. Where else, Dave? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's out on Voodoo. A lot of the uh, cable pay-per-view video-on-demand outlet. Um, so, yeah, it's av- available for um, for streaming on a by-purchase basis. And then it's uh, being distributed by Gravitas Ventures. And um, so we're just waiting to see now. The next phase is to um, find a streaming outlet and broadcast outlets as well. So we're hoping that it's going to be making the rounds um, you know, around the world, really, because this is a global story. It is. Is a global story. It is a global we're story. Also, Go ahead. We're also really excited about our partnership with Collective Eye, which is an educational distribution company. So that's it's been really important for us to make sure that this film is available in classrooms and you know whether that's K through twelve or college or libraries. And so any any um, institute can can license the film for screening or purchase. And then that's been a great outlet as well. Wonderful. I mean, it should definitely be seen. And you also have this wonderful narrator, Peter Coyote. I, I just adore him, and I love his voice. 
Nelson. How did you attract him to this project? Real quick, this is our last question. Justin. Sure, yeah. So uh, it was just a, a stroke of good luck and timing and uh, David reached out to his agent and it was a project that he was interested in. I believe the environment's pretty close to his heart. Yes. And it was a dream of ours to work with him. I think David and I both uh, were, you know, reared in the shadow of, or as filmmakers in the shadow of, um, of uh, you yeah, uh, Ken Burns. And so I think a lot of the Peter, Peter Coyote documentaries and it, it, yeah. you know, we were, it, it was hard working with him. We both went and, and went to the studio with him and it's like, how do you, how do you direct Peter Coyote? It was more like he was directing us. He was suggesting <laughs> rewrites to the script. He's like, do you mind if I do a little rewriting here? And we're like, go for it. <laughs> as, as soon as he reads something, you know, it, it's like, it, you know, written by a divine hand. Exactly. So I was going to say like God. Exactly. I was yeah. going to say like God spoke. Well, thank you both for being on the show. I wish you much success for this. Uh, everyone should uh, find uh, Saving Atlantis. It's very important. And uh, thank you for all the work that you've done. Thank yeah, you. Jan, we really appreciate being here. And thanks for all you do to support independent film. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you have missed any of the Jam Price shows all about movies, you can go to my website, thejampriceshow.com, and all the shows are archived there. Also, uh, we are on iHeart's podcast channel, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, and YouTube. So, And also, if you have a smart TV, I'm on smart TV. Just uh, you, the iHeart app, type in Jam Price Show, and you can listen to the shows there, too. Thank you for listening. On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio, Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show.